Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from E1 President of International Distribution Stuart Baxter and Kesha International Chief Operating Officer and President of Distribution Karen Shaha about the changing global TV sales landscape in the wake of last year's seismic events. With all eyes on the UK for this month's London screenings, C21 has put together a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews to coincide with the event. Exploring the key trends and issues front of mind for buyers and sellers right now, the place of UK programming on the global stage and some of the shows to watch out for. Stuart Baxter, President of International Distribution at Transatlantic producer-distributor E1, spoke to Ed Waller about how the takeover by toy giant Hasbro at the end of 2019 has changed the company's strategy and how second windows for SVOD shows are becoming more widespread. Tell us about the current state of the market amid this pandemic and and the effects it's had on E1 both as a distributor and and a production group. Clearly it's impacted us the way it has everybody else. It is a mix of up and downs. The industry has seen, you know, that producing through a COVID is is not easy. There's uh, production delays with the COVID procedurals. It's more costly to produce accelerated some of the underlying trends that were happening in the market. So whilst it's not been easy, what we've found is there's been some upside in our distribution business because broadcasters still needed to source programming. So we've seen some pickups in some parts of the business. Production has also been, whilst difficult in some territories, has actually been quite good in some other territories. So we've seen our Canadian production business. We've seen the Australian, New Zealand business flourishing. But, you know, it really is, you know, varies market by market. Obviously, as the global production freeze led to that spike in acquisitions that you just described, tell us how that that has changed your international distribution strategy in the light of this sort of uh, changing acquisitions market. It hasn't dramatically changed our strategy in the sense that it wasn't long before COVID that E1 was acquired by Hasbro. And as part of that, E1 as a standalone entity was, you know, really all about building. And whilst it developed some of its own programming after it bought the Mark Gordon company, it did distribute a lot of third-party content. Being acquired by Hasbro has switched the emphasis. So we're doing a lot of developing around the Hasbro IP, the 1,500 toy brands that they've got. We've done a lot of recent announcements about attaching major talent to developing some of those brands. Distribution is still central to what we do, but what we've got is we're putting more money into developing, creating, and producing than being so dependent on third-party programs as we were before. I'm interested in how your clients' acquisition requirements have changed since the events of 2020. The deals that you're doing, how, how they're reacting to the, uh, the situation. The reality is, again, it does vary market by market, but we've seen some trends that brought Broadcasters generally, they're more open to shows from all over the world. So we've seen, you know, and that's not just us, but we've seen dramas come out of Israel. You know, we got used to a few places, but, you know, Narcos started that trend in many ways, but that's really grown through the pandemic. There was also a trend beforehand about broadcasters starting to get in earlier to projects. That's also been accelerated. Far more people are attaching themselves during the development stage, not sort of post 
finished. You know, broadcasters used to turn up to LA screenings and, you know, were watching a finished pilot. They knew what the show, they knew what the talent, they knew what the, the tone and style of a show. And, you know, the host broadcaster. Now broadcasters are joining projects way earlier than that. So we've seen more of that. We've seen also an increase in people, because of the lack of product they should start with, we've seen an increase in people looking at second windows. So, you know, I think if you look at how Bodyguard did on TF1 as an example, I think it was 4.6 million people in France. This was after it had been on Netflix. And that sort of woken everybody up. There is a world for second windows as well as the first primary window. How has the production hiatus of last year impacted the supply of content for distribution uh, this year? We've been hearing a lot of talk about a shortage of drama, you know, lots of development of COVID-friendly formats this year. What, what, how, how's, how's the uh, effects of last year impacting this year, Stuart? The reality is there was a hiatus and the supply didn't come through and broadcasters and platforms had to find alternative sources of, of programming. And they ordered that in their own different ways. But as said already, what we suddenly saw is a big increase in push towards sources of programming from different countries that were still actively in production. People are pushed towards light entertainment. Documentaries suddenly took up a larger part of people's schedules. I was looking at some stats earlier this week that documentaries uh, basically over the last nine months on traditional linear broadcast are up 488% light entertainment up 150%. And that's because, frankly, with COVID protocols, it's easier to produce those sort of programmes. They require smaller crews, smaller talent teams, and therefore you can get by COVID a lot easier. They also tend to be a little bit more local in nature as opposed to having to shoot in multi-countries the way big dramas and films do. So uh, everybody's reacted a little bit differently, but what it has done in the short term is given a spike to the unscripted, uh, given a spike to international production. If I look at us in Canada, our five Canadian dramas all went through producing last year without being interrupted. U.S., productions did get interrupted. Crew, you know, unfortunately were tested positive and we had to take them off. We had sometimes to stop production. We had to do various things to react and isolate and quarantine people. And it might mean a week or two weeks break and then you're back into production. But it, it was more difficult in the US. We hope now things are starting to turn the corner. I think People are better at operas than they were six months ago. We've got used to that process a lot more. The testing regimes are a lot better. There's been a lot of learning going on. Another issue of, of the last 12 months has been uh, the growth of streaming. That's obviously a big uh, opportunity um, of the last year. Tell us about how that's impacted your business and, and the opportunities that, that, that that's created. In truth, I would say COVID has been, if, it, if there is anybody who's benefited from it, it's accelerated. The number of people at home the amount that's being consumed suited, if you like, those that aren't confined to schedules and have sort of limited shelf space, which the the streamers have. The the streamers also generally are large, well-funded organisations that are able to, you know, survive and grow through this. So, you know, if you look at the number of subs, you know, as early as last March, Amazon and Netflix were noticing a spike in subs, you know, right at the beginning of the process. And that's continued through the year. We've also seen, frankly, Disney, you know, actually launch internationally in that time and do terribly well and 
you know, they're way up above their original subscriber projections. We see Peacock coming through now, HBO and sort of HBO Max, sort of the Time Warner streamer. Peacock, now Paramount Plus being added. So the number of streamers and the number of subs grown, it's been good for them. It's still not cheap. They still have to source programming and generally producing in COVID is, is more expensive because the amount of tape you end up with in a 10-hour day is less than you used to because you have to breaks and clean, wipe down sets and separation and all of these things. But, you know, I would say the streamers have done well. The independent producers who, you know, supply the streamers have also done quite well. So, you know, we've seen that's been, you know, a good part of our production business. We've got a UK daughter with a show called Red Rose, which we're doing for the BBC, but with Netflix that's, you know, going to be shot, you know, later this year up in Burnley, done by 11 Phil and the Clarkson twins. And it's a fabulous project. But what we've seen is the streamers being able to join more of these projects. The traditional broadcasters, you know, are are playing catch up to doing that fast commissioning. Their commission lead times used to be slower and they're playing catch up and shortening those, which is really, really important. Obviously, one of the the big issues that uh, in that streaming growth is the fact that the, the studios behind those platforms that you mentioned, you know, Peacock and Paramount Plus and HBO Max, we're hearing that they're sort of retaining a lot of their programming in order to feed those streamers and, and sort of, in a way, taking them out of the distribution ecosystem. Uh, how has that impacted the distribution market and the demand for sort of non-studio programming? I think for people historically, or the last few years, we've already seen a sort of a breakdown in there were less output deals from the studios. Uh, Broadcasters were, frankly, trying to buy programming much more on an individual basis on its own merits, as opposed to having shows put to them by the studios. Those streamers slash studios are now retaining those shows for themselves. And so the broadcast community is having to source them from elsewhere. For independents, that's good news because they can't get them off the majors. They've got to get them off the independents. So for people like us, that's good news. If you're also somebody who's got a lot of IP, a lot of brands, and it's one of the fortunate things about us getting together with Hasbro is Hasbro's got 1,500 toy brands. And so a lot of our development and emphasis has been on, you know, creating, we've attached Bo Willman to Risk, Jonathan Entwistle, uh, to Power Rangers. We've just given James Patterson a deal to develop a couple of series for us, one of which is you know, Hasbro-based. So what we see is the independents do well, but also streamers realise they can't be 100% self-sufficient. So they're also looking for partnerships. And I had a call with one of the streamers this week who was basically saying, look, we need more programmes than we can provide ourselves. You guys are, are interesting because you're still spending a lot of money in development, etc. And so we've got one show that we're looking at sort of kicking off the relationship with uh, now, uh, which would be an international production out of the UK. And so I think the independents generally will benefit not just from the broadcast side, but they'll actually benefit from the streamers. Because don't forget, there are more of them than the old world where there were four indies. You know, there's many more streamers than four. Obviously, the um, the option of going direct to consumer isn't just limited to big studios in Hollywood. Are there any D2C plans underway at E1? I'm thinking largely of the opportunities provided 
guided by the growth of smart TVs? No, really, for us, it really is about being, and we've said it pretty consistently, about being platform agnostic and sort of customer agnostic. We really believe our role is we have brands and toys and fan bases, and we have creative capabilities to develop, package and produce. And we're not going to go into the, what I'd call the SVOD business. We have, in an uncompetitive fashion, our family business, you know, had a service up on YouTube for a number of years. And to your point about TVs uh, and sort of home devices, we also have a, a small service up with Samsung. But do we see ourselves competing with the streamers? No that they're going to be our customers and it's not a good idea to compete with your customers. Um, okay, looking ahead to the rest of 2021, maybe you could just give us an outline of your plans, priorities and, and uh, things in development for, for this year. For us, for 2021, I'd say we've sort of got a three-tier strategy, if you like. The first was that increased emphasis on Hasbro IP. So we've started to do a number of said first look deals, pod deals, writing deals for people to, a bow willerman, to take a franchise like Risk and go and create the world Risk. We've done the same with Dungeons and Dragons. We've done the same in a non-scripted world with a number of projects, Monopoly, Nerf, Mousetrap, which we've actually got three US networks already developing with us on those shows. So we see the Hasbro IP as being you know, very central, which is new to us. We also see continuing growth in third party, but more in what I call the co-production space. So where we will join a third party producer, come to a project with us, and we'll join that. We'll co-fund it, co-own it, and take it to market. And the last part is on the distribution side. We're lucky because of Canada going right through to the end of last year. So we've got two new shows we've already launched this year. So Family Law, which actually uh, we're going to announce the US network deal with in the next couple of weeks. I can't expand on that right now, but it's a Canadian show. We've now got a US network that's going to take it and we're going to take it out to the international or have just started to take it out to the international market. Feudal, uh, which is a, a Sherry Elwood project. We're finishing off production on Cruel Summer uh, at the moment, which will launch Fingers crossed it'll launch in April. That's going to be for Freeform, the ABC network, and for Amazon around the world. But I've seen the first couple of episodes, and that's absolutely fabulous. And to what I was saying earlier, we got people really interested in the second windows of that. So we've got a number of shows. said we've got a couple of UK productions coming through this, our first big UK drama productions this year, and the number of Canadian, a couple of US, and the rest is the development developing the pipeline, as well as the acquisition. So non-scripted, we've continued to do a number of documentaries. We've just done a COVID documentary outbreak that seems to be selling terribly well, unsurprisingly. We've got um, a non-scripted show called Arctic Bets. So because we've grown the non-scripted business, we bought a number of production companies in the US the last two or three years, Renegade and Blackfin. And then we bought a number of UK production companies Daisy Beck and WizKids. So our pipeline of non-scripted is growing as well. Okay, well, that's, that's a, a great snapshot of, of, uh, of where you are right now, Stuart. But just finishing up uh, on, on the rest of the year, how's another year without possibly physical events in the calendar? How's that going to change? 
change your business? And, and what are your future plans for the London screenings? And how's that going to fit into the industry calendar? First of all, I'm hoping it's not another year. Uh, I'm hoping it's more like three to six months. We've obviously announced plans in the UK for opening up. And I hope the rest of the world is the vaccine programs, you know, will get going as well. But look, fundamentally, we think we're in a, a transition where we're going to be operating a hybrid model for the next year, you know, right through into, you know, the early part of next year as well. And by that, you know, I'm hoping the first real market I see, you know, taking place, maybe MIPCOM. It's sort of end of September, early October. I don't see any major, you know, genuine face-to-face and international travel happening before then. But I'm hoping in the interim, said we're doing digital events. We've spent a lot of money investing in our basically screening platforms for customers. So we used to have a screening platform. And like everybody else, we've been using meeting platforms. Now we've merged those two. So actually, we can host webinars, we can host, you know, live events, we can host, you know, posted video, create microsites, all through a single sort of uh, forum platform for the customers to screen our materials. We push stuff out, we can just send them a notification to say it's out there. But you can also as well as send them out, watch it, we get the data back, what they've watched, when they've watched it, how they've watched it. It's a really good use of sort of data in the current world environment. But then we can speak to them after they've watched it and ask them, what did they think of it? Did they like it? Interesting seeing that, okay, how quickly do they watch the second episode? As we've launched Feudal and Family Law, I've been watching and looking at the stats on that. And I suspect all our peers have done the same. Much more data, much more infrastructure on the digital side. And that's not going away. We'll continue to use that regardless. But we We also want to meet customers, you know, asking them what they're really looking for, spending time with them. How are their schedules evolving? Definitely there's a big increase at the moment on even the traditional linear broadcasters putting more and more emphasis on their digital plays. So I think Alex Mann at Channel 4 was saying, you know, we can't be a stage where it has to be digital first, not digital sort of afterwards. And we're seeing more and more that. And the best way for doing that is joining projects early, pretty constant communication. And so that's what we've put in place. Stuart Baxter from E1. With all eyes on the UK for this month's London screenings, C21 has put together a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews to coincide with the event, exploring the key trends and issues front of mind for buyers and sellers right now, the place of UK programming on the global stage and some of the shows to watch out for. Karen Shaha, Chief Operating Officer and President of Distribution at Kesha International, spoke to Ed Waller about how increased demand for finished tape has mitigated the impact of the production freeze. The exec also discussed the opportunities provided by the streaming boom and offered some highlights of the company's London screening slate. Like everyone else in the TV industry, Karen, Kesha International has spent the past 12 months working under a pandemic. Tell us how it's affected Kesha International, both as a distributor and a group with obviously many production arms around the world. Clearly, it has substantially affected us on on both fronts. As, As you said, our main business is production on the one hand in several markets and distribution uh, on the other. And and it it had a mixed effect 
that. Obviously, in terms of our production business, clearly it has affected our productions pretty much in every territory. Uh, and on the other hand, it has actually had a positive effect on our distribution business. Tell us how that works. Is it just a spike in demand as people uh, look for content to fill the schedule? Yes, I think for, for the obvious reasons, because production has uh, stopped uh, for so long around the world, the demand for ready-to-go, how we like to call it, content for, for tapes that are available uh, has definitely grown and, and we were very fortunate and, and still are to have this offering of ready-to-go shows in pretty much all genres, I, I would say, for our clients. Did you find that your clients were sort of buying up shows that were perhaps a couple of seasons old that weren't priorities for you? They were delving into the archive a little bit. How, how did they uh, respond? Definitely. I think it, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. I think while we have seen a spike in demand for finished tape, especially I would say starting Q2, Q3 of last year, I think once the understanding that this is not going away anytime soon started to sink in into all of our, our minds. I think it did present an opportunity for us to dive more deeply and look with our clients in our back catalog, you know, so maybe bring to our clients' attention shows that they, they've they seen before, but maybe didn't pursue, uh, weren't maybe too keen on them at the time because they didn't feel a need or, or a slot or a gap. Uh, and now was a good time to revisit them. And we have seen a big part I think of, of ourselves being these type of shows, back catalog and shows that people were taking a second look at. I will say on the other hand, I think we need to be careful, you know, with this buying crazy frenzy where I think the majority of our clients are not buying for the sake of buying. They are still evaluating shows under the microscope of their brands, their needs, their audiences. Were your clients, um, I mean, how did their requirements change because of the events of 2020? Were they looking for more flexibility in deals, more repeats? We hear the, the, the phrase co-exclusive being bandied around. Tell, tell us how your, uh, your clients kind of changed what they needed from their suppliers. Um, I think, first of all, you know, I, I don't think there's like one market, different territories, different clients reacted differently uh, and are dealing with the pandemic in, in, in a dynamic way. Okay, so their strategies have changed throughout, you know, throughout the year. Um, and that really depended on how fast their ad market bounced back, how much of ready-to-go content they had in their pipeline and production resuming uh, or not, obviously. So I think, yes, probably there was more leeway, openness in terms of the business terms, uh, the co-exclusiveness, as, as you mentioned, which we welcome, of course. Um, but I think ultimately, again, it really depends on the content, on what that is. So if it's must-have content, they still require their terms, their exclusivity, you know, as in the past. If it's a more what we like to say, you know, nice to have content, they're more flexible. 
One of the things we're hearing, Karen, is this idea of there's going to be some kind of drama shortage in 2021. Tell us how the production hiatus of last year impacted the supply of content for distribution this year. Um, I think we are obviously still seeing the effect of the production hiatus in 2021. We are very fortunate that we were not severely impacted by this in terms of our pipeline of shows, you know, we scheduled to launch this year. And I think apart from one drama, which has been substantially impacted and delayed for, I would say, almost 12 months in terms of delivery to us, all the rest are pretty much delivering as anticipated and on on schedule. But what about the impact of the production hiatus on demand for unscripted programming around the world? That's seen as more COVID-friendly, faster to produce. Is there a big spike in, in, in unscripted demand as well? Yes, I would agree with that. Definitely last year, I think in the beginning, in the earlier stages of the pandemic, uh, we've seen it especially to be true from our experience with the American buyers. Obviously, you know, they are heavily reliant on, on scripted. So it, it it made sense. So, you know, we were very fortunate to see shows like uh, Killer Camp, Tuesday Child's very fun reality competition sell into the CW in the US, the UK tape. Shows like Singletown, our, our relationship slash dating reality format, which went, among others, to HBO Max last summer. Bad Habits from Crack It, which went to Hulu. So we've definitely seen a growing demand in un unscripted, especially from the American buyers. You, that brings us neat, neatly to the next topic, because obviously the last 12 months haven't just been about COVID. There's been a, an enormous spike in, uh, in streaming, and uh, not just usage of streaming by consumers, but the number of platforms out there as the studios uh, in Hollywood all move into direct-to-consumer strategies. What's been the impact on Cashier International of, of all these new buyers, would you say? A very big one on the distribution business as a whole. And I think the impact is going to grow even more. And on us especially, because I think these buyers are really great partners for us for foreign language content, especially scripted content. You know, we've seen, I think, with Netflix... Uh, the recent success they've had with foreign language drama. And I think as they and the, the new players, the new entrants would be looking to grow their subscribers outside of the US, I think their demand for good content, non-English dramas is going to grow. And this is something for a company like us, which is, is pretty known for our non-English speaking dramas is something very positive for us and, and, and a trend that uh, we really welcome. And obviously the headlines are all about the big global streamers, but there seems to be a, a boom in um, local SVOD services around the world and also in AVOD services. Have you been doing deals with those and, and how does it differ from, uh, from each of those different platforms? 100%. I think um, a big part of 2020 uh, was really um, for us is taking the time to build those new relationships with the, with the, not just with the global new SVODs, like you mentioned, like Peacock and uh, Discovery Plus, 
and HBO Max, etc., but really on the local side with the local players. We've been already making some deals with local Asian SVOD players. And I would say that for the past 12 or 18 months, we've also really taken the time to build those relationships with the AVOD players, um, especially on the factual side with the AVODs. And, and we're very happy with those uh, relationships and we see them as being a, you know, a, a, a real part of our business and in a, in a revenue generating avenue clients for us. One of the consequences of all these big Hollywood studios moving into streaming in, in such a big way is obviously oftentimes they're keeping their shows for their own services and not licensing them out to third parties. How, what impact has that had on the, on the distribution ecosystem to see a lot of those shows be taken out almost of the ecosystem? Does it create opportunities for companies like yourselves to sell English language dramas into those slots that previously might have had Hollywood dramas? 100%. Um, I think we're in exactly that position as be, you know, being an independent um, uh, company and a distributor where you know people will know to come to us to find those shows that do resonate internationally, you know, and, and that are not too local, be it foreign language, but also English speaking. Uh, like you said, I think, I think the bar for English speaking dramas is still very high in terms of acquisitions. So again, it's not that I think that these days you can sell any English speaking, you know, lang language drama, but you're definitely more, your exposure is definitely higher as a company. And therefore, I think for our titles, the, the exposure is, is, is higher, is bigger. Before we get on to your, sort of some of, some of your new shows that you'll be unveiling uh, this month, I just want to have, ask you to look ahead to the year and sort of another year, possibly without industry events like MIP. How does that, how does that going to change your business? Well, first of all, it's going to save all of us a lot of money. So that's a positive. Listen, I think ultimately I've used the word, word relationship quite a lot in our conversation. Our business is built on relationships. Uh, and we, while we very much look forward to seeing our clients and our partners personally and hugging them and kissing them, I think this past year have showed all of us that probably we don't necessarily have to be in a market every two weeks or every month, you know, and our business is an all year round business. And, you know, in a way, I, I even think this year made us come closer to our clients. I feel that we've been and we still are in more regular contact with them on a deeper level and which ultimately makes us understand their needs, which again are changing even better. And that, you know, we don't need to wait for an event to talk to them about projects and, you know, to launch projects. And, and I think while we all want to, again, go back and, and, and get out of our maybe borders, I think this is something that um, probably is going to last in our industry. I'm not sure we're going to go back to five markets a month or two markets a month. Another 12 months of Zoom then. Oh. <laughs> well, um, I think the combination of the best of them is the best. Cool. Now, um, we're here because uh, you're one of the companies behind the London screenings this month. Maybe you can just give us a little, uh, a few highlights of the slate that you'll be unveiling to buyers virtually. I think we're, we're very happy with our, our lineup, especially because in terms of our scripted, we're showcasing five 
foreign language dramas. We're talking about foreign language. Um, just maybe just to mention two, one is Keshet's primetime drama, which is currently airing on our channel extremely successfully. It's the highest rated drama for the channels. So basically for Israel uh, since 2015 with an average 30% market share, which which for drama is, is really massive. And what I like about Line in the Sand is that I, I think it brings something fresh To the crime genre by actually going old school so our protagonist who is a decorated big-time detective has a very strong moral compass and a very clear sense of wrong and right and so when we meet him and his colleagues they're not conflicted like we've seen maybe in the past you know in these type of crime dramas but ultimately throughout the series he's forced to cross this line between right and and wrong to bring justice to his town and really to protect his family um so I, I'm very excited to you know to bring this show um, to our clients and I think the second one to mention is probably Furia which is a, a monster scripted X film co-production for via play and ZDF uh, and Furia is an edge of your seat kind of thriller which has a very strong female character lead to it which is something that attracted us to the show and another thing that attracted us to the show is that unfortunately the the subject matter of the series felt really relevant and current to us because it's still it deals with far-right extremist uh, terror cells and unfortunately like events that we've seen on, on capital in, in not so long ago and and headlines that you know you keep reading coming out of uh, Europe this is something we all are are facing any other highlights you want to share with us I think um on, on the format side we will be giving a taste of, of a new cachet uh, 12. baking competition show or more accurately dessert competition format which I'm excited about again this is something that came out of of our research or understanding that during the time we're all locked at home all these people you know became really home chefs and home cooks and and bakers um, so we felt this is something our audiences would would be interested in and while you know not a new format but you Really, one that I think our clients should take notice of is the music quiz playlong game show um, the hit list which comes from Tuesday child and has been a massive success for BBC one it was just ordered for a four seasons in the UK with you know a celebrity episode so really you know you you were talking about flexible flexibility I think that's really an example of a really flexible format that can be scheduled in pretty much any time slot for for any network you know for BBC it runs alongside strictly come dancing you know most of our clients have strictly come dancing um, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk more about that format Karen Shaha from Kesha International speaking with Ed Waller that's all for this episode but there'll be more about the London screenings in the podcast tomorrow we also have a dedicated microsite focused on the event so look out for that and in the meantime stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following c21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 